Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello and welcome to Matt D'Elia is Confused. This is Matt D'Elia and this week's episode is about cults. One cult in particular, uh, a Hindu sect that I believe goes by the name Nitayananda. I'm probably saying that wrong, but it's also probably the best I'll be able to say it, so I'm not going to say it again. Uh, I was lucky enough to speak to someone who was in this cult, who has recently left this cult and has even more recently begun to speak out. It's only been two months since Sarah Landry has begun to speak out against uh, Nitayananda and what she knows about it and the stories she has to tell are pretty fucking wild. Um, and I, that's all I'll say about that. I'll let her sort of get into the details, but this is fucking crazy. I've been wanting to talk to um, someone who has survived a cult experience for a while now. And I feel very lucky to have been able to speak to Sarah um, and I'm, I'm, I'm just very grateful for her, for her sharing her story um, with such candor. Uh, but yeah, um, let's get right to it. This is Sarah Landry on Matt D'Elia is Confused. Hope you guys dig it. Okay. When I was in my early 20s, I moved to Vancouver in, um, to go to a school called Emily Carr University of Art. And at that time, you know, my, my main passions in life were abstract art and kind of the creative philosophy of using art in order to experience consciousness. Um, but I got a little disillusioned by art school when it seemed like um, the, the main focus was more making things that are sellable and trendy. Mm. So I, I left art school before my third year and kind of started exploring um, new agey stuff. I got really into crystal healing and tarot card reading. And from there, I uh, was introduced to Hindu mystic tradition. Mm -hmm. um, and at 24, I, I found this meditation center in Vancouver called Life Bliss Center and it revolved around the spiritual teachings of a man uh, who was called Nityananda. And it seemed like what he was offering was everything I had been searching for. Um, so he claimed that his teachings could, let, could lead you to experience the living state of enlightenment um, and the visionary realms that, you know, a lot of artists are arguably kind of hoping to experience. Mm -hmm. And I fell really hard into um, becoming a believer. Um, he became my guru almost instantly. Um, and even though I had some initial reservations, when I saw the people in his center were almost over-enthusiastic, like everyone there was wearing a necklace with his picture on it. And before they ate, they chanted his name. Um, 
I, I didn't really have enough experience with cults to see that as a red flag. Um, mm-hmm. I thought they were a little bit, you know, overzealous. Um, but I also had kind of the, the arrogance of thinking, well, that's never going to be me. Right. I'll apply his teachings in my life, but I'll stay rational. Um, but that, that quickly kind of evaporated and I became even more gung ho into it than those others were. Right. Um, and kind of embarked on a nine year journey of going to India, um, never leaving my house without that necklace with his picture on it. And eventually, he initiated me into his monastic order, um, which, you know, it, it looks a lot like a Buddhist monk. I think Westerners were more familiar with that, where right. we wear the orange robes and prayer beads. Um, and once I had joined his monastic order in 2015, he quickly promoted me to being the head of his social media team. Mm. And... You know, in a lot of ways, I became the face of his organization. Um, So before he spoke on stage, I was always on stage introducing him. Mm. Um, When participants came for his paid programs, I was usually the teacher who led them into their meditations and introduced him on day one. And so as far as his cult organization was concerned, I was kind of the publicly speaking, the top, you know, behind the scenes, I was never his inner circle. Those Mm. were always born Hindu people. Right. Um, But I got out of it, thank goodness, last summer when two of the kids who were his students confided in me that they were scared and and that they didn't want to be in his school anymore. And when when I asked them why, they said they don't want to get beaten again. And that for me, it, it was like getting slapped in the face because yeah. this man promotes ahimsa, which is the Sanskrit word for nonviolent. And I believed really strongly that his organization was a nonviolent organization. Mm-hmm. Um, so I asked them what exactly had happened. And, and they told me a horror story that every kid in the school had been forced to just you know, beat the crap out of each other until they were bleeding and crying and that the kids had been blamed for his failure to awaken third eye superpowers in participants of a program. Um, and that's kind of summing it up a bit. Yeah. 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 That's That's great. Yeah. Okay. So I think, I think, um, to just start you, 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 I've seen some of your videos and, and, and done my homework and there's, I feel like there's a lot to to get into and just to try to maybe go, um, maybe in order as much as we can. You said at the beginning, as you started to get involved and sort of get your feet wet and see what it was all about, you saw signs uh, that that made you think, well, I, I'll use this in as much as I can, as my life sort of can get a use out of it, but I don't want to yeah. You said you saw people with the, his face on the necklace and chanting his name yeah. before, all that stuff. So you... What what I find interesting about that is that you were sort of aware of its, I don't know if cultishness is the right word, but there was something mm-hmm. about it that was sort of sounding some kind of alarm bell within you that I don't yes. want to get knee deep in this. Uh, I want to use it in as much as uh, it can help me, but I don't want to be one of these people. Is that right? Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. So you had the you mentioned sort of, you talk about cognitive dissonance a bit. And I find it interesting that you had some 
at the start too. Um, and, and, and how I'm curious as to like how, just to get in, in, in your head a bit mm-hmm. and the head of someone in your position, how does, when does that start to, uh, lose focus sort of fall into the background? And when, how, what is the process of you sort of shedding that sort of concern and, and, yeah. and then turning, turning around and, and, and diving in fully? That's a, that's a great question. And I think that, you know, the answer to this could be a cautionary tale for a lot of people who dabble in mystical circles and think that they can kind of stay half in, half out. Right. Um, in my case specifically, the, the reason um, I was kind of alarmed by the malas or these necklaces with his picture, um, because I was raised Catholic oh. and I went to a, a Catholic school and my whole family was Roman Catholic and you know, to the, to the level of being an altar server when I was a kid. And like, we were really Catholic. Right. Um, I was raised Catholic too, but not that I was sort of raised lazily Catholic, but yeah, I can, I can relate on a certain level. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, you know, it, while I was growing up, it was always such a chore to go to church on Sunday mornings because that kind of like invaded my weekend space. Totally. Um, and I, I didn't believe in, I didn't believe in the religion. Like when I was a really little kid, I think all of us will believe whatever we're told by the grownups that we trust. Sure. Um, but when I, when I was around seven or eight, I became vegetarian because I felt um, that's when I got pet cats. Mm. And I started to realize, you know, these little beings have personalities and intelligence and emotions. Right. And I kind of spiraled from there thinking, well, if my cats are capable of love, then maybe cows and pigs and chickens are too. Uh Um, And that was really not acceptable to the priest or to the Catholic school teachers who started quoting me Bible verses about (laughs) how to slaughter animals. (laughs) And instead of driving out my vegetarianism, they really drove me into atheism. Right. And so I thought, well, if, if this is what God wants us to do, then either he doesn't exist or that's not a God I want to worship. Right. Um, so my hesitation towards becoming a, a real believer in this Nityananda group was that I didn't want to ever be in a position where somebody else's moral compass dictated my lifestyle choices. Mm. Um, I wanted that self-sovereignty. But it started to erode for me when when I would tell people, well, this is what I believe. And they would say, wow, that's exactly what Swamiji, they, they would call him Swamiji. Mm-hmm. They would say, that's exactly what Swamiji says. And so my my defense mechanism of, of trying to maintain my self-sovereignty started to melt away when people kept telling me that what I believe is what he teaches anyway. Mm. And so it's kind of like you, you're already... Um, you're already a Hindu. You just don't realize it yet because you were raised in the West. That's interesting. Um, and yeah. yeah. And so my, my reservations and hesitations started to kind of melt. Um, and, and, and I, I yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, please. Yeah. No, continue. Okay. Oh, I, I was just going to say that there were certain things where, uh, I changed my own core beliefs to fit his, because then, it's like a slippery slope. Once you start letting a cult control your mind, you don't realize that's what you're doing. Right. Uh, what you what you think is happening is, wow, I, I agree with what they're saying. So let me explore this other thing that I don't understand and see what that is. And as soon as you start exploring that other thing that you don't understand, um, 
for in in this case the necklace with his picture on it or mm. touching his sandals before starting a meditation those were things that were completely foreign to me right but when they said okay the the guru's feet connect his higher super consciousness with the earth so when you touch your sa- his sandals you're touching a physical embodiment of the connection where super consciousness meets human consciousness um to me that was all gibberish but right. I, I figured why not try it and see what happens and the euphoria that we experience when we start meditating, like really meditating, was enough um, that I attributed that euphoria to him right. instead of to the meditation process. And at that point, I would have believed anything that he said and did and did believe everything he said. So basically, the meditation on its own is obviously doing the thing that meditation does, but you're, and yeah. because of what everyone else is saying around you, ascribing it to him actually when in reality it's an it's something that that you're doing from within not from without exactly exactly and they they do that in a really crafty way where they say that he took birth in this form but he's really a multi-dimensional being and he brought this meditation technique down to planet earth and that when you do this meditation technique on your own you'll only reach a certain level but when you do it in the energy field he's established, it takes you to a deeper level. Um, so that kind of jargon is used. And if you're somebody who hasn't already had your own meditative experience um, to that level, you believe it. Um, and, and especially when the group think around you, you know, everyone believes it. Right. So it's super easy to sort of join in and, and, and agree mm-hmm. when everyone else is doing it. Yeah. That, that, that makes total sense. I'm curious as to, now that you can reflect uh, how at, this is a stage that I'm curious about it, it, always because because your story mirrors a lot a lot of sort of cult mm-hmm. entries and exit stories and I, and and I'm, I'm uh, I wonder how much you use the word crafty and it is crafty I'm curious yeah. how much you do, and I know there's no way of knowing this but how much do you think that they believe what they're telling you or he believes what he's telling you about himself. Or do you think it's actually a known lie, even from the person who's telling you? Because what I'm interested in is sort of that sort of confusing area where yeah. where it's 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 detrimental to you to believe this man or whoever is telling you this stuff. But are the do, would you say that those people are actually lying, or do you think that they actually believe what they're telling you? Personally, I I think they believe what they're telling. Yeah. Um, because I was one of them, right? You know, right, right. A- after attending the first program, I was spouting off all that same jargon and I fully believed it. Right. And the thing is in, in, in the case of the people who go to his programs and then come back to, um, the real world and start implementing his teachings, a lot of his teachings are super basic. Yeah. You, you'd find the same things in well, Scientology, I've discovered. Right. Um, but you'll find the same kind of core beliefs in, in, in from any Hindu guru um, and from, from people like Osho. And when you start implementing this basic common sense kind of spiritual stuff, it immediately works. Um, for example, he told people that the best strategy for business is instead of immediately demanding what you want, find out what the other person wants and show them that you can give it to them. <laughs> and so a lot of business people were saying, wow, you know, I, I had this breakthrough and suddenly I'm getting all these new contracts. Um, 
they could have gotten that same thing probably from a business coach. Yeah. But they didn't. They got it from him. So they think he's enlightened. Right. And so they'll start telling all of their friends and family, you've got to come meet this guru. He's he's life changing. He's helped me. I attended his program. Um, one of the other interesting things is that the first program that I heard of of his was called Inner Awakening. And it was a 21 day kind of meditation retreat in his ashram. And he described to us that it takes 21 days to make a pattern or break a pattern. Mm. And this is something kind of pseudoscientific, but a lot of psychologists agree. Mm. Um, and for that reason, you know, drug rehab therapy will be 21 days. Mm. If, if somebody can go 21 days without that substance, the dependency hypothetically is broken. Mm. And so he would have these 21 day programs where every morning we wake up super early, do yoga, do meditation, have question and answer sessions with him, dance into the night, um, eating this, this sattvic vegetarian food. Um, and at first for me, that was problematic because I was vegan mm. and they're serving stuff with a lot of dairy in it. Mm. Um, and so I avoided that. But then w when I say my core values started to blend and become his, uh, that's the biggest change that I noticed in myself that I would consider a negative change in retrospect. Um, because we were told that all of the dairy products used were from a non-violent, no-kill animal sanctuary called a goshala in his ashram. Later, I found out um, that that was a lie. They were they were just buying dairy from the local <laughs> shop uh, and telling all of us that it's from the goshala, um, which you know. So here's a case where really they're just they're just actually lying. There's no chance yeah. that they whoever's no. Per propagating this lie that there's no chance they even believe that that's just an actual that's lie. an actual that's a, and, and here's where it gets problematic the kitchen team didn't tell everybody else that they were buying it from the outside so a lot of the people telling us it's from the goshalit they believed it. right yeah <laughs> and and then subsequently i started accidentally lying to the whole public because i came back to canada super excited about this and saying when I'm in North America, I'll still be vegan. But when I'm in the ashram, I'll be vegetarian because mm -hmm. all their dairy is from the Goshala. Right. And so it's, it's like, there's a chain reaction. It's like that telephone game. The, the moment one person mishears the message, everyone else will be told something yeah. not exactly factual. It's, it's interesting the way sort of that works. The telephone is a good sort of visual. It's this like, it's sort of the most insidious part about this and and it, it's hardest yeah. to to wrap your head around because no there's no one i mean there is someone at the epicenter of it to blame mm -hmm. i suppose but most people perpetrating a lie like that is yeah. it, they're not they're not even they aren't even lying what they think they know they're just yes. sharing that information and it's sort of like in a situation like this again it, it gets blurry about who to blame who's really telling a lie who's just sharing one and and who's really yeah. at at fault there but um it it it's tricky but i think the, the what triggered your exit and your sort of story which i've listened to about that when when the sort mm -hmm. of the children came to you i, I to just to provide some background about it what what the children were doing there and what their purported skill or gift was. Can you talk about that a little bit, the remote viewing stuff and all that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in, in 2009, 
this man's main teaching was live enlightenment. Um, after about 2012, 2013, his main teaching shifted from living enlightenment to manifesting superpowers. And he started to claim that he is the next living incarnation on the planet, taking over the work from past masters like Yogananda and Ramakrishna and Aurobindo, who had all kind of hypothesized that enlightenment turns a man into a superman. Mm. And he started to say that they all attempted to trigger a shift in human evolution from human to superhuman. But where they failed, he's going to pick up the task and succeed. And so he's already promoting himself as the greatest of all great avatars who's going to finish the job that these other guys tried to do but failed. Right. And so the kids in his school, he described them as being the first group of superhumans. Mm. And he said that because they had been with him from some of them from birth, some of them from a really young age, these are all kids of his disciples, um, that because they were born into his community, they are going to manifest powers the most visibly, the most strongly. And in fact, that when all of those kids have these superpowers, um, for example, remote vision, um, body scanning and identifying illnesses without any medical training, um, providing, providing the advice for people to heal that's outside of the pharmaceutical industry. Um, like Scientology, he was also very anti psychological pharmaceuticals. Mm. He, he believes that, you know, the cure for depression is spiritual. Um, yeah. And I, I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I think the way he approaches it is highly problematic and destructive sure. in people's lives. Um, but these kids essentially were, were meant to be our living example mm. of the highest potential for human achievement. And they can read blindfolded. They can materialize sacred substances like holy ash and vermilion powder and when we sit with them and they manifest these powers for us, um, we were told that through something called Shaktipada or entanglement, they can transfer those powers to anybody. Mm. As long as the person they're sitting with is ready to surrender to the feet of their guru. Um, so these kids became kind of the main draw into his programs. Um, there was one girl specifically named Yoga Mata who had a video go viral on Facebook, or sorry, on YouTube. She's had like 10 million views, I think. Hmm. Um, and it's called Girl Demonstrates Cool Superpower. And hmm. she basically sits there blindfolded reading things that people hand to her. So the, the kids were being used. Um, some would say like stage magicians doing parlor tricks. Right. Um, most of his followers think that they're genuinely manifesting these amazing superpowers. Um, and I think it's kind of a gray area between the two, um, because personally speaking, I've had profound experiences with the remote vision. Mm. Um, you know, I've sat with people and described things that I'd never seen before in pretty specific detail. Um, so I, I believed that all of these kids were genuinely manifesting. Right. Um, I was never able to do the, the blindfold reading, um, but I always thought that's going to come later if I just keep focusing and keep practicing. Right. So the, ki the kids, um, 
supposedly they were having a full school curriculum. Um, the school was, you know, licensed under the the British, um, you know, foreign school in India group. I don't know what it's called mm. exactly, but um, but the kids finally, when they were crying to me and saying that they got beaten, they also said that they're never allowed to study and that they don't have regular classes. They just have to manifest these powers and that they won't be fed and they won't get to go to bed at night. They won't get to drink water. They can't even get up to use the bathroom unless they manifest these so-called powers. And so all of the kids had started cheating because they realized, Mm. you know, if they can't manifest these powers spiritually, um, they're going to starve to death and, and they're exhausted. They're dropping like flies falling asleep and their teacher would go around the room dumping water on any kid who fell asleep. It's it's literally torture. Yeah, I was just going to say that's just actual textbook torture. Yeah. 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 And so these kids yeah. are being tortured and then it's like yes. out of necessity, they're just saying, I can do this, I can do that. And, and they're, they're, they're making it up, I guess, just yes. plainly to be able to eat or go to the bathroom or sleep even. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And that's exactly it. And and the kids who I was speaking with, they said that the way that they faked it is that while sitting in in pairs or in groups, one kid would say, "Okay, do a body scan." If the other kid looked at them and said, "I see you have a headache," whether they had it or not, they'd say, "Yes, yes, yes, that's true. Okay, he's doing it. He's successful. He's body scanned." So these kids um, are helping each other, basically. Yes. Wow. They all kind of figured it out that that if they cheat and if they help each other, they'll get to eat and they'll get to go to bed. Um, so all the adults in the campus, meanwhile, were kept separately from the kids. Uh, a lot of people will ask, well, you know, didn't you see that they were being sleep deprived and starved right. and tortured? Well, no, because that happened behind closed doors in a gated off part of the ashram where nobody was allowed to go unless they were um, a Gurukul teacher. Um, so no, we didn't know that this shit was going on. This, this was completely kept separately. And what about the, 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 sorry, just to interject, what about the children's parents? Like, are they just, are they just totally blind and happy to the fact that their children can do this, that they're turning the other way? Like what, what's happening there? Most of the parents, the, the school kids, maybe half of their parents live within the campus, but in a different department. So they only see their kids once a day during the yoga and the puja, Mm. uh, the worship ceremony. Um, The other half, their parents are outside devotees who maybe run his international temples or do fundraising for him. So all of the kids, their parents are what I would call fully brainwashed. Like they they are ready to drink the Kool-Aid if he tells them, you know, let's end this. Right. So they they're oblivious to the fact that their kids are being abused they believe their kids are being trained mm-hmm. and that these kids are going to be the leaders of the future who are running temples and reviving hinduism and teaching the world how to how to be a superhuman um and in fact what's really sad is that i've told a lot of these parents point blank your kid was beaten your kid was starved your kid was sleep deprived and they've gotten mad at me and said, how dare you question the training of the guru? Wow. So, so they're just so like, in. They're so yeah. deep in that, that yeah. to, it's almost like, again, with the cognitive dissonance, to, yeah. to acknowledge that would be too much to bear uh, uh, and what it would, yeah. impl- it would implicate themselves so much that they, they just can't even like, 
let that be a possibility. In fact, for you to even suggest it, you are mm-hmm. the perpetrator here, not yes. the not the people doing it to their children. Yeah, wow. Exactly, exactly. Um, and there's there's been such a huge smear campaign against me by brainwashed members of that cult. Um, so it, it is just like Scientology, then. It's just oh, yeah. yeah, right, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, and what's what's kind of unfortunate is that. Originally, the only thing I was really a whistleblower about was the child abuse. And there's all kinds of other stuff going on behind the scenes. Like, he's also a sexual predator. He's a rapist. There have been mysterious deaths in his campus. Um, that's, a, that's all much bigger. Right. The first thing I went public about was the child abuse because I naively believed nobody will tolerate a kid um, being abused like this. Right. But unfortunately, I, I guess I didn't realize that not everyone has the same core values and core principles. Um, it's interesting. I I saw, I think it was Steve Hassan had said that a lot of times what triggers somebody to leave a cult is when they're encountered with a situation that is so completely against the core principles they've held from birth. Mm. that it kind of snaps them out of all the delusion. Um, and I can't say that the, the kids telling me they were beaten immediately snapped me out of it. It was enough that I left the organization. Mm. But I still believed maybe the guru is enlightened and that I misunderstood something. Mm. Um, or that the teachers went too far right. and that maybe the guru um, didn't know that this was happening, which you know now we know isn't true. But it, it took me a year of deprogramming and, you know, psychologically reevaluating myself to kind of come to terms with the fact that I had been duped and that I was doing something really bad by promoting that cult. And that's when I went public. Um, but originally in their smear campaign against me, they, they claimed that I'm being paid by the Vatican to try to destroy Hinduism, which is just ridiculous because... <laughs> Um, I'm the kind of person that the Vatican would, would disown. Like I I could probably be excommunicated for my beliefs. Sure. Um, but, but they were, they were jumping on this bandwagon of trying to show that I had a vested interest to destroy Hinduism. And by doing that, they're setting up their cult as if their cult is Hinduism itself, which it's not. Right. It's, it's a very small faction um, that most Hindus don't believe in. Mm-hmm. Um, but they they basically said that I made up the whole thing about the kids being forced to beat each other and that it's a lie. Um, whereas now, 10 kids have been rescued from that Gurukul by parents who did wake up and Whoa. get it and, and disagree with the abuse. And two of those kids have gone on a national news program in India and have, without even knowing that I blew the whistle and described this, they described the same exact thing that wow. I mentioned in my videos. So it's now irrefutable. Yeah. We know for a fact those kids were beaten, starved, sleep-deprived, um, and and forced to go on stage and lie about these superpowers. And and so he's, it, tell me if I'm wrong, but he's... Yeah. He's like fled or something, isn't he? Or, yes. isn't, okay, so yeah. What is his legal situation right now? His legal situation is, I'll be honest, it's confusing even for me. Yeah. Um, but he is, he has absconded from a rape trial. 
So 10 years ago, a lady named Arti Rao filed a police complaint against him for multiple rape, for, for kind of five years of, of rape. Jesus. And yeah, she was fully brainwashed in his cult. And he told her, uh, just to set the context, like she was a married woman, uh-huh. well-educated. She was living in the U.S. at the time, um, came from a really nice family. And she got sucked into his cult because she had this this care for humanity. I think one thing a lot of us cult victims have in common is that we feel that we want to help the world. We want to make the world a better place. Yeah. And so she fell into that category. She also got sucked in through the meditation and the yoga. And um, having been a born Hindu herself, she cared a lot about Hinduism. So when she when she went there to volunteer she quickly got pulled into his inner circle team and i would say you know just my guess is because he was attracted to her Mm -hmm. Uh, and behind closed doors he told her that she's an incarnation of the goddess parvati um, and he had always claimed he's an incarnation of the god shiva (sighs) and he told her that her marriage um, doesn't matter. At the time she was pregnant, he instructed her to get an abortion. Holy shit. Um, wow. Yeah. And ap- apparently he has done this to many women, um, forced them to get abortions. And even in his, even in his stage discourses, he has said publicly many times that abortion as per the Vedic Dharma is good. Hmm. Um, he claims that the first pregnancy should always be aborted because According to him, all of the all of the engrams, and here's another place where he kind of has the similarity to Scientology. Yeah. He uses the word engram. Even the same word, yeah. Even the same word. Oh, he studied L. Ron Hubbard. Like he's a fan. He is a fan of L. Ron Hubbard. That's interesting. Uh the same thing is true of uh the Nexium, which I know you've compared it to as yes. well. Keith Raniere yes. is same thing. He was just he was totally yes. Uh, influenced um, by L. Ron Hubbard, and it's interest. That's so interesting. I mean, L. Ron Hubbard yeah. being like the master of this horror show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, well, and, sorry. And yeah, Alistair Crowley too, for that matter, because I think he's the one L. Ron was learning. From yeah, definitely. Or yeah. emulating. It's, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, when people call it satanic, in a way, it literally is. <laughs> right, right. The whole treatise was written by a satanist. Mm-hmm. Um, but. The uh, I forget what I was saying there about um, the word the Engram word he would even thank use that, you yeah. yes and the forced abortions like he he claimed that the first pregnancy a woman has all of her engrams and all of her partner's engrams will be transferred into that fetus and so if that baby is born he or she will have the worst traits of his and her parents um, <laughs> and so you should always abort the first pregnancy and that way, you know, your second pregnancy, which will be your first child will be this amazing, you know, beautiful being. And and he claimed an incarnation can never be the first, first born child of a parent. And I think a lot of this is, is shit that he would say on stage deliberately um, kind of to diss his older brother. Um, <laughs> you know, if, I can if, relate you know, to that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think any any sibling can. Yeah. Um, I like to say I'm lucky to be an only child. But <laughs> yeah. I think I think he had a major sibling rivalry, and he used to complain behind the scenes that his brothers 
uh, won't worship him. Mm. And so, you know, you had asked earlier, do they believe the stuff they say or do they lie deliberately? Um, I think that in Nithyananda's personal case, yeah, um, I feel he has narcissistic personality disorder and psychopathy and that he's a pathological liar. Yeah. And so in my opinion, um, he believes that he is creating reality by making these declarations. I don't necessarily think he believes it's the truth um, historically, but I think he does believe when he repeats the same lie over and over again, I think he convinces himself that his lie is the truth. Right. Um, and he, he has even given us discourses saying that there's a difference between fact and truth and reality. And he claims fact is the lowest level, least authentic form of reality. And that, you know, fact meaning what can be scientifically measured and scientifically proven and seen and felt and, and experienced through the five senses. He says that fact is only applicable to the people who have a low, undeveloped, logical mentality that they're not capable of discerning the higher reality. Um, so he said the scientific fact is, is basically like the, the silliest, lowest level of understanding the universe. That kind um, of cult leader uh, message is so... You hear that kind of thing all the time yeah. where it's like yeah. what you've learned to learn is false. And it's like yeah. you're creating this void where the cult leader then just steps in and says, yeah. now what I say is actually true. And that is, yeah. is like the most... <laughs> That's like the ultimate commonality between all of these yeah. people. And it, and it's yeah. it's very interesting. They, they can come in different forms and, you know, he has different reasoning than someone like Keith Raniere for saying that and, and yeah. or different reasons that he gives. But it's the same exact thing. And it's like, wow. I feel like if there's like one thing to be wary of as someone who isn't in a cult and could get sucked in, it, it's, mm -hmm. it's specifically that. Anyone who says yeah. what you know or what you've learned that you – know and the ways that you've learned to know that's all bullshit or it's not yeah. working for you or something and now you can listen to what i'm saying because you have yes. like destructed your idea of what fact even is that's exactly it yeah and, and in that discourse he said like fact is the lowest level of perception truth is one step higher and that's where your beliefs come into it but reality is beyond both and he claimed he is the only one who can perceive reality and so we should forget about facts and let go of what we're holding on to as our truth and allow him to bring us into the ultimate reality right um and none of this and around, is none of this is actual hindu text right like this no, is just him yeah no, okay yeah yeah no this is this is his own spin right um and and it gets really confusing for us because he does quote a lot of actual hindu texts yeah um but he doesn't necessarily live by those. I mean, he preaches celibacy, but mm -hmm. he's sexually active right. with men, women, and children. Um, he preaches nonviolence, but he instructs his disciples to beat each other. Yeah. Um, so he is completely hypocritical about everything. Yeah. And yet a lot of staunch Hindus try to defend him because they haven't experienced life as his disciple. They've only seen his stage discourses where it seems as if he's validating their 
um, their lifestyle. Right. Um, but in fact, he's not. He's kind of usurping both Hinduism and Scientology and creating this this um, new breed of cult where a lot of people can't differentiate what has he taken out of the playbook of a cult leader and what is he doing that's that's a true Hindu guru. Right. Um, because in the Hindu scriptures, it does say that you should worship your guru's feet and that the mm. guru's feet are the link between super consciousness and base reality and that the guru has a higher perception, maybe not in the same words he uses, um, but a lot of that does go hand in hand with actual authentic ancient Hindu teachings. And so it's easy for his disciples to disregard whistleblowers or or people calling it a cult for what it is mm -hmm. um, because they're able to say, well, you didn't properly understand the Guru right. Gita. You know, you left before he gave you the ultimate experience. And a lot of them are, are thinking of me as a sad case of if I had just stayed for another year, you know, mm -hmm. maybe he would have enlightened me. Right. Um, but I, I, I'm very confident to say he himself isn't enlightened. There's no way he can enlighten anybody else. Right. Yeah. Um, I've, I've seen the guy through a temper tantrum over, you know, over being served the wrong kind of food. Like, <laughs> that's not enlightenment. That's not enlightenment. <laughs> that's not enlightenment. I, I, yeah, no. that, that's definitely not enlightenment. Okay. So, so you left and it, and it, in, in a year, w w when you actually left and, and weren't sort of, taking on the role of the whistleblower, what was your process like from the leaving into becoming the whistleblower? And, and were they sort of hyper aware of your absence and trying, like what, what was yeah. going on in that process up to the point that you blew that whistle? Yeah. Well, the, the first thing that happened at the time that I left, I was staying in Toronto um, and he had given me the, the job of trying to get him asylum in Canada. He wanted me to reach out to the prime minister and get him, um, you know, like almost a refugee status. Is that because he um, knows he's in trouble back home? Is that what's going oh on there? God. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. See, he, he fled this rape trial. So Ardirao, who accused him of rape, um, that trial has been ongoing for the last 10 years. The judge kept postponing it. Hmm. Finally, it's in session. And within a couple of weeks of that trial being officially opened, he fled India on oh. an expired passport. He's hiding out in Ecuador. Um, wow. But at that time, he didn't yet have asylum. I mean, he's even applied for asylum to Ecuador. Um, and as of now, I don't know whether they've given it or not, or if he's just bribing people to stay there. Who knows? It's anybody's guess. Right, but yeah. he, is, he is definitely in Ecuador. I, I know people there with him. Wow. Um, but what, while I was in Toronto, the very next day after these kids had confided in me and, and in one other lady who was there about being beaten, they were sent back to the ashram in India. Um, and I mean, like the next morning at 6 a.m., we weren't even up yet when the kids were loaded into a car and driven to the airport. Wow. And that's when I realized, like, holy, like, I need to get out of this yeah. immediately. Right. Um, so I spoke with the lady who was renting the house where all of us were staying. All of us, meaning there was about six or seven of us from the ashram uh, who were there on different assignments. Um, and I told her everything. I told her about the kids being beaten. I told her about, I mean, this man was also grooming me for sexual abuse the way he had abused Arti Rao 
He also mm. told me I was an incarnation of the goddess and that I had to be in this relationship with him. Right. And when I first started telling her that, um, her cult logic was answering me. It wasn't the lady herself talking to me. It was her beliefs about him. And she said, well, maybe you are an embodiment of a goddess and you just don't understand it from your human perspective. But maybe when he did these things to you, he was tuning into the divine frequency that works through your body. And mm. so it was kind of a, you know, it, it was very confusing right. because, okay, was I abused or is he trying to elevate me to a superhuman status? Is this a divine play? And um, you in that place, you're still a member of this organization. Yes. So you're not thinking, yes. well, this sounds like bullshit necessarily no, you're, you're like no. in and you're thinking that's yes. definitely possible yeah okay I, i'm in and i'm thinking oh my god i've i've hurt my guru right. by having this negative thought about something mystical that he was doing and and maybe he was trying to give me an initiation i wasn't prepared for right um but finally i told her here's here's how i see it uh at that time how i saw it was if in fact there was some kind of goddess energy working through my body and he wanted to awaken that as his Shakti, then wouldn't he, as the ultimate avatar, have known that I wasn't yet ready for that mm -hmm. and that I wouldn't take it properly and that it wouldn't work? Wouldn't he have known what to do and what not to do? Mm -hmm. And then I could see her wheels kind of started to turn. And she said, you know, he sent me pornographic inbox messages on this what? other lady. Yeah. And I asked her, how did that make you feel? And she said, well, I've always related to him as a father figure. So it made me feel really uncomfortable. Yeah. And I, I wrote him back and said, never send me anything like this again. Wow. And so I told her, so that that's how you felt when he sent you pornographic messages. Imagine how you would have felt if he had actually groped you mm -hmm. or, or forced you to touch him or, or done the other things he had done to me. And then she helped me start hatching a plan. Hmm. Um, so this lady, she was a, you know, she wasn't wearing the orange robes that the rest of us were wearing. Um, meanwhile, all of us in the saffron robes had been called back to India. And I told her, I'm not going back. And she said, I understand that, but don't tell anybody else yet. Because at that point in time, it was a, it was a very strong possibility that they would have reported to him that I was a flight risk. And they could have taken my passport, which is something they're known to do. Um, they could have, you know, locked me in that house and not let me leave. Um, so she kind of helped me plan an escape. Um, she snuck some of her clothes into my closet and said, okay, try these on. when, Whenever you have the chance to lock the door, try these on. Whatever fits, keep it. Whatever doesn't fit, um, just leave it in the closet. And the morning of August 30th of 2018... Um, I booked a flight from Toronto to Calgary, to my home province. And I called my mom and told her, can you pick me up at the airport at this and this time? And I put on that lady's clothes and I waited until everybody else had gone to the temple for the day. I told them I, I needed to stay back and do some other work. Wow. As soon as they went to the temple, I brought my suitcase upstairs, um, had a, a mutual friend pick me up that this lady had arranged for me went to the airport and, and that was it. And I mean, when my mom picked me up at the airport, I saw her car kind of circle past the passenger pickup a couple of times. And I had to text her and say, don't look for orange, you know, look right, for me. Right, 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 right. Um, because even she thought at that point that I was still in this coffee color. Yeah. 
Um, so when I got home, I, I still had this kind of confusion. At that point in time, even my mother was one of his devotees. Oh. You know, she had attended a few programs. I kind of, I sucked her into wow. it. Wow. Okay. Time. Yeah. 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 Um, so even she said, well, how do you know these kids told you the truth? Yeah. I can't imagine Swamiji forcing kids to beat each other. So I, I was kind of thinking, well, maybe, maybe I was mistaken. Um, and I, I told her about the sexual stuff. And she said the same thing that the lady in Toronto said. She said, well, how do you know that you're not an mm. incarnation? Um, you know, how do you know this wasn't his Leela? And so it was really tough. She she don't get me wrong. She was happy that I was back. Right. And she told me, I'm glad that you're not in India anymore. I worry about you a lot. I'm so happy that you're home. Um, but she didn't want me to, to judge him too harshly or come to the conclusion that it's a cult. Um, but really synchronistically that about six months earlier when I had been there to renew my visa, A&E was showing a marathon of Leah Remini's Scientology in the aftermath. Oh, yeah. Um, that was when I first started thinking, well, shit, that sounds exactly like what happens to us in India. I thought right. this was Hinduism. I didn't know this was Scientology. Right. Um, so A&E had another marathon of that show. Um, luckily for, for everyone in a cult, that was trending at the time. Yeah. And that helped me start deprogramming more than anything else because I saw how these people believed as strongly in Scientology as I had believed in this fraud guru. Um, and I, I could see, well, if they could get out of it, even, you know, even though they were being disconnected from their entire family and starting their lives over from scratch, well, if they can do it, so can I. Mm -hmm. And I downloaded an ebook called The Mind Control Manual. Um, and I've recommended this to every one of my friends who's leaving the Nithyananda cult because it, it's written in a way that it describes systematically step by step how, how a cult leader starts to control the mind of a follower. And when you understand what happened to you, you can understand kind of how to undo it. You know, right. if, if you think like, okay, I had this experience and so I believe in it. Nobody can tell you that experience wasn't real. Mm -hmm. You'll you'll say, well, F you. You don't know what I experienced. Yeah. It was real. Um, but if you're shown how fake experiences are triggered in people systematically, and then you go back and look at your experience, you get that aha moment. Right. For me, that's when it really clicked that the whole thing had been a scam. Um, and it, it took me about four months of, of really digging back and questioning the dreams I had had of this guru, um, questioning, you know, my own experiences with remote vision. I started Googling all kinds of stuff about psychic ability because mm. I truly believed I had that because of his initiation. Um, now I can say it's probably more like maybe an ability that's, that's a lot of people might naturally have that only got triggered when I started practicing it and playing with it. Um, right. It's not his divine initiation. It's just something that maybe some people can do. Yeah, there's this book called um, Phenomena written by Annie Jacobson, and she talks about DARPA, the American military program, to sort of that sort of tried to mm -hmm. corral and 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 use remote viewing. And it's really interesting. Yeah. It's the, remote viewing is really sort of like a very weird, very yes. unknown thing that yeah. you can sort of, it doesn't make any sense what's happening there no. when it's happening. And if someone's out there saying, the reason you can do that is because of me, that I mean, there's yeah. that's just as believable yeah. 
as any other thing because it doesn't make sense. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's, this is something that I haven't gone into in any other interviews or in my videos because it's, it's very problematic. A lot of people think the whole thing is, is bullshit and it's not real and, and that we're making it up. But Part of the reason a lot of Nithyananda's disciples will never get out of their cult abuse situation is because they have experienced this stuff firsthand. Yeah. And they've never experienced it anywhere else in the world except in his center. And so they they know for a fact that they had this unique, amazing thing that other people think is impossible. Right. And those people must all be wrong and deluded because they only look at the facts. They don't know the truth or the reality, but he gave them the reality. Right. And, and so it's, it's, it's something that I think it's a discussion that needs to be had um, in an unbiased way because I was one of the people he would have sit on the stage along with the Gurukul kids to demonstrate these powers. Mm. And I didn't know anybody else was faking it because in my, in my experience, um, the way we would do it, we would all sit on the stage dressed up in all kinds of jewels and makeup and with our saris tied beautifully and people from the crowd who we didn't know, like total strangers would come up and sit in front of us and we would chant the guru's name. And then look at those people and just start talking. Mm. Um, and I, I was the one that was considered the most gifted when it came to remote vision. Mm. And I'll, I'll never forget the first time I did a stage demonstration of remote vision. A man sat down in front of me. And what we were always supposed to do is describe that person's house. Mm. So I looked at this man and I told him, I, I'm it's it's strange i don't see a house i just see a forest i see trees i see you lying down on a dirt ground staring up at the night sky looking at the stars i see a backpack i see a tent but i don't see a house and he started to get really excited and he said keep keep looking and tell me what else you see uh and then i saw a blueprint like an architectural diagram blueprint for a circular shaped wooden house and I started to describe it, and I, I described the details I was seeing on this blueprint. And I said, it's it's a modular construction. It looks like a bunch of tiny houses stuck together. Um, and there's an there's a there's kind of a wraparound deck, and the bathroom is outdoors. I see a shower that's that's you know spraying water from the roof of the house onto this deck, and I see, um, you know, I, it's not physical yet. It's just in a diagram stage. Well, he wouldn't let me finish the the reading. He started, you know, jumping up and down saying, oh, my God, this is real. This is real. And he said that he had sold his house a few months earlier and started backpacking through the wilderness looking for a site to build his dream house. And, and that's exactly it. He said he had a diagram um, based on modular, um, <laughs> organic, you know, natural construction And that the most important thing he told his architect was that it has to have an outdoor shower because he wants to conserve the shower water and recycle that to water his garden. And wow. And so that was was my when that happens, when you do that, Mm -hmm. you do it and you see his reaction. He has the reaction. You both are like, holy shit, this happened, whatever the reaction is. And but but at the same time, both of you are ultimately ascribing it to the god man exactly. yeah right to the con man and so i'm thinking thanks to this this fraud nityananda well at the time i was thinking thanks to my great guru swamiji yeah you know thanks to him i'm able to do this and that man was saying that the reason he volunteered for the remote vision 
was that he was a skeptic and he thought, okay, let's see, they'll, they'll start describing a house and I don't have a house right now. So I'll be able to say this is fake, but he became a believer because of my remote viewing for him. And so this is where Nityananda has, has conned a lot of people to believe that he's an avatar of Shiva. Um, He has somehow tapped into, you know, whatever, triggers people to have remote vision experience. I I can tell you exactly how he does it. Um, He has people go onto the stage in queue and he touches each of us on uh, the spot between our eyebrows, which in Sanskrit is the Agniya Chakra. And then he says, now you've been initiated, sit with a partner for 15 minutes and do the remote viewing. Don't censor yourself. Whatever comes to your mind, say it out loud. Whether it's right or wrong, just keep talking. Don't worry about whether you're right or wrong. And then at the end, your partner will tell you what was right, what was wrong. And so people will par- partner up and just start bullshitting, start talking. Mm-hmm. Um, but every once in a while, they'll get something right. And right. then they switch partners. Well, he would have us do this for eight hours at a time, 10 hours at a time. There were times when we would go you know, two or three days straight, just partnering up and doing these so-called remote viewings. Um, From what I've read about how this kind of psychic phenomenon works, it it really is something that practice makes perfect. When people can start to discern what is their own thought versus what information is coming to them that they couldn't have known before, it's a subtlety. But once you start to get to the point where you can recognize um, something psychic from from your own previous assumption, uh-huh. then you can do it without any mistakes. Well, he didn't need to touch us on the third eye. He could have just said, sit and partner right. and practice until you get it. And the same thing would have happened. The thing is, in the in the Western world, none of us are spending 48 hours straight without sleep and without food and, and without getting up to go to the bathroom yeah. to force ourselves to get this. But I believe anybody can, if they put themselves into that kind of a rigorous training for it. Um, it's also, like the, said, it's also the kind of thing where it's, it's almost like the needing to know what the reason is or how it's happening or needing, needing the, 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 foundation under you for saying well this is what's happening even if it's just well yeah. th- this guy's allowing it and he knows better than me so that's why it's happening yeah to, to need to know right. why a thing is real can really lead people to fucked up places because yeah the truth is if you're remote viewing and you can't explain it that yeah. doesn't mean anything beyond that if that's true right. and it happened it did happen and just yeah. because it did doesn't mean that whatever fucking answer that yeah. you want to believe or is told to you needs to be true. Just sitting in that experience and knowing it happened, yeah. the the needing to know seems like the problem really. But when someone yeah. is like that and is just sort of controlling everything in your purview, it's probably very mm-hmm. easy just to think, well, then it was, it was him, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And, and there's a, there's a technical term for it by cult experts. They call it faulty attribution. Mm. Um, the moment something amazing happens and the cult leader takes credit for it, or you give the cult leader credit for it, you will then think that that cult leader is responsible for all the good things that are happening. And this was also the, the thing he would tell us. He would say, whenever you manifest the power, it's my gift to you. 
uh, whenever you're wrong, whenever it doesn't work. So, for example, like I said, I was never able to do the blindfold reading. Mm-hmm. I'd put on a blindfold and I would be blind. Right. Um, he would say, that's your incompletion. You're not surrendered to him enough. Right. That's your fault. When you do it right, it's because yeah. of him. When you do it wrong, that's because yes. of you. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and so suddenly you've you've got this group of like, at that time, there were about 500 of us living in his ashram who are humans we're human beings but we're being stripped of our humanity we're being told um it's your base human nature causing you to be failures and when these powers express it's his super consciousness expressing through you making you a superhuman so you start uh, you know the people there start to resent everything about their lives before him Mm. and he creates this new cult identity by giving us a new name, a spirit, what he called a spiritual name instead of our old name. And he would say, if there's anybody from your old life, your friends, your family who won't call you by this new name, don't talk to them. You can only answer to the new name. Wow. And yeah, yeah, all of, he would even say like, like I said, we all called him Swamiji. Mm -hmm. Um, He said life before Swamiji. There's a reason the initials are BS. It's because before Swamiji is bullshit. (laughs) And so we would start to think like, Everything in our lives before him is now not only redundant, you know, most cults will try to make the the cult members old life redundant. He would make it not only redundant, he would make it problematic Mm -hmm. where we felt guilty or resentful of the fact that we were born outside of his cult. Mm -hmm. And he would even tell us the, the greatest souls incarnated as the children of his disciples so that immediately from birth, they're put in his gurukul. Mm -hmm. And we had to do what he called completion, which means, um, as per his teaching, sitting and looking into ourselves, looking at all of our flaws and reliving all of our mistakes over and over and over again, until we feel confident that Basically, we suck and he's the best. And so we should drop ourselves at his feet and just be what he wants us to be. Wow. And he said, if any of us are able to completely complete and be in the space of completion where we no longer have our own identity getting in the way, then he will manifest through us. And so the only thing time- that's a problem is is you basically your yeah. existing identity is the only yeah. roadblock uh yeah. for him yeah yeah, yeah. it's it's yeah, yeah the only roadblock is everything other than him right yeah. right yeah totally yeah gosh yeah i'm struck with i mean i feel like and i know some of this a bit but if you could talk about it uh uh uh, the the actual scam that's at work i mean when you mentioned 500 people you mentioned ashrams you mentioned travel you mm-hmm. mentioned all this stuff the money is obviously coming from somewhere and he's accumulating yeah. a lot of it yeah and it's from the members right yeah. i mean it's from yeah. your own group and and so how is he collecting so much money like what is the bait and switch what is this the, if you yeah. were to talk about it like in a legal way like what is the actual scam because i think a lot of times people think well you're consenting adults if you want to go to the, his ashram and do whatever yeah. he says that's up to you but but there's this money thing too and yeah. and, and i don't want to leave that out so what like how does he how does he bilk basically the people that, that come to him yeah yeah well first and foremost 
he hides from everyone the fact that he was charged with racketeering back in 2007 in the state of California. Oh, wow. Um, he first tried to establish his mission in California with a temple that his devotees built for him in Los Angeles. Hmm. And at that time, he told everyone that he is going to build the world's largest Hindu university. And so one wealthy California man donated, I think it was $1.5 million to him to build the university. And a couple of years later, when there was no university, mm -hmm. um, that man sued him and won and wow. sued him on the charge of racketeering. And it was fairly easy to prove that it was racketeering because he promised he's using that money towards building the university, but there was no university. Right. So he, that man won back the full $1.5 million but had to sign a non-disclosure agreement that he would never talk about this. Hmm. Um, and, you know, one of my friends who was also conned out of a million dollars found this out because she had a, a private investigator search out um, all of his past criminal records and track this man down and actually spoke to him. And he said, you know, he wishes he could go public and talk to the media about this because he might save a lot of people from falling into that same trap. Well, like so no legally, one knew. No one knew no about one. that. Okay, yeah. Well. No one in his organization knew. No, he claimed to us that he has been charged with 200 false cases and that he won 199 out of the 200 <sighs> and that the last one um, he's about to win. Huh. In reality, he's been charged many more than 200 times and he's he's lost a good deal of the cases against him. Um, but how how he's actually running this racket Every every December, he has a huge program. It started out as a $6,000 program back in 2009 when I attended. Um, then it became an $8,000 program, then $10,000. This December program coming up is meant to be $16,000. Last December was $15,000. And so this is per and person paying. They, they pay to person, do it. Okay. Yes. Each, each participant who joins the program is expected to pay um, the most recent years have been $15,000 U.S. per person. Wow. And he makes all of his disciples recruit participants for that program, and he calls it causing. Um, so another of his, uh, of his teachings that he's taken um, straight out of Landmark is he teaches integrity, authenticity, responsibility, enriching, and his addition, causing. Um, but the way he teaches these concepts, it's not towards empowering your life. It's towards empowering his mission. Mm -hmm. So integrity to him, right. authenticity to his teachings, uh, responsibility to make his vision a reality, um, enriching people to follow him, and then causing, which he claims is the highest of all of these, is making somebody pay for his program. <laughs> And he calls it causing because he says through that program, they will cause the ultimate reality for themselves. Huh. And so, you know, going back to 2009, when I, I told you that all those people were telling me following him is the best thing and going to India is the best thing. And you ask, do they believe it or are they just saying it to, to get it? Um, these people believe that the best way to cause the highest reality for somebody else is to get them to go to his program. And they've also been told that he will only accept their devotion as disciples if they are able to cause people to attend that program. And so he's got hundreds of initiated disciples who take it as their personal mission in life to make all of their friends and family and coworkers and everybody they meet 
pay money to go to his December programs. Um, and none and of these people, give, none of these people see this as it just is par for the course. They're they're not thinking yeah. I gotta pay. I, I should like the, the the money for them is a absolutely worth it and just how the organization stays alive essentially like because that's so much money you know yeah yeah um yeah and a lot of those people they they have had their logic broken in the sense that they no longer believe fact is reality they think fact is base human misunderstanding and truth is personal perception but reality is beyond that he tells them that in reality currency is non-existent it's just an energy so if somebody has the right will to attend his program they can get that sixteen thousand dollars anywhere they can take a bank loan they can borrow it from their family they can sell their house and because by paying that money they're brought into the ultimate reality after the program they'll be able to manifest it back tenfold (laughs) and he even made the claim once um that whoever pays the fifteen thousand for the program two years ago would have four times that amount magically appear in their bank account on the last day of the program well i can tell you it was (laughs) no fun being in the hall on the last day of that program and people were checking their bank statements and seeing that the debt is still there so they actually Um, these people believed that the money would magically yes. be in their account. Yes. That's incredible. And it's, yeah. It's very sad too, because I mean, I mean, it's easy to laugh at it, but damn, I know a lady, um, she has five kids and, and she sold her farm so that she and her, her kids could all attend that December program. And they were promised this money will reappear in your bank account four times what you've paid. And now she's flat broke. She had to write to some of us in private messaging um, asking if we could send her some money for groceries. Holy and it's shit. Heart- it's heartbreaking because these people have put all of their love, all of their trust, all of their devotion in a con artist who's using um, pseudo mystical things like remote viewing to try to legitimize himself and prove that he's an incarnation when really he's he's a con artist and he's swindling this money from people. And this guy doesn't um, like if 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 this woman, let's say, were to to. Yeah somehow try to contact him specifically directly or, or yeah. just talk to him directly and said, like, what, what would even be that response? Cause I'm assuming that was a common, yeah. common complaint. Yeah. Like you said this and this didn't happen. Yeah. It's pretty cut and dried in this instance. Yeah. What would be his response to just, Oh, well, like what, what, what would even be his reaction to that? He himself is completely unreachable by his devotees. Um, the only the only people who can reach him through Facebook messaging or through, you know, other encrypted messaging services are the people he considers worthy of his attention. And so those would be um, sexually attractive people that he's trying to get nude selfies from right. um, or wealthy people he's trying to get big donations from. Or people he considers influencers or, or famous people who he wants to promote his brand. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody else, like a, a, it could be a program participant who's paid $100,000 for his programs. He won't give them the time of day because he doesn't consider them worthy of his personal attention. Um, so this lady, for example, um, could write to somebody like Manyanatma Swami, who's the head of his programs team. And she will tell them and has told them 
your incompletion and refusal to accept Swamiji completely has resulted in this not manifesting for you. So it's her fault. It's her fault. Right. Yeah, it's her fault. She didn't do the program properly. She didn't do the meditation properly. She didn't surrender to him completely. And so she's blocking it. And the person telling her this, he, Mm -hmm. I'm assuming, uh, he does believe that too, right? He's not like you're, he doesn't think he's passing on a lie. He believes this woman didn't do it right, right? Yeah. So it's this whole perpetuated thing. There's not even like a... He's not even like playing a, an, uh, a participatory role. He doesn't even understand no. in any way that he's no. helping to sort of facilitate the ruining of lives. He just thinks she didn't no. do it right. Yeah. Wow. And in fact, in fact, a lot of the people perpetuating these lies actually think that they are helping people by right. telling them this kind of shit. They yeah, think, yeah, well, yeah. now maybe they'll become more integrated to the guru and their life will transform. Wow. Um, there's a there's a video on YouTube. There's there's this one guy. He calls himself um, Loco Guano. I, I don't know what his real name is. Um, but he he was like the biggest troll of the Nithyananda <laughs> community. Um, he used to leave really uh, rude comments under my videos back when I was promoting it. And mm. now I'm I'm a big fan of his work. Sure, yeah. What he does, uh, he takes video clips of Nithyananda disciples saying things that are just batshit crazy. <laughs> and then he, he takes those clips and uploads those as independent videos. So he, he made a, a little video of one of one of this fraud's biggest public speakers, her name is Mahayoga, um, sitting with one of the kids, Nandita, um, who is, as we speak, kidnapped and being held against her will in either Trinidad or Ecuador, this poor little girl, 18-year-old girl. Um, He's made a video clip of the two of them sitting on stage um, answering phone calls from participants of programs. And so somebody will call and say, you know, since attending this program, I'm having such a huge success with my business. Thank you, Swamiji. What should I do next? And they will read the Akashic records, so to speak, and give the person advice. Well, one person called in to this show that was airing live and said, I'm in $40,000 worth of debt because I attended the program and now I can't pay back my monthly my monthly bills oh, shit. because of this. And their response was $40,000 is irrelevant. How dare you bring this as a problem in front of Swamiji? Do your completion. And and literally verbatim they said $40,000 worth of debt doesn't matter. And they started <sighs> ridiculing and shaming this man for having the audacity to expect help even though they're the ones who promised him that the money would reappear in his account. That's the most topsy-turvy backwards shit that you can imagine. That's yeah. Yeah. Fuck. That's crazy. Yeah. And and I know a lady see that this is just program fees. His racket also includes something he calls Sarvagnipita, which is the Sanskrit word for the seat of knowledge on planet earth. So the way he scammed that man in California over a decade ago, he is still running that same scam now where he claims he's going to build a Hindu university and a library and a research center. And whoever donates $200,000 USD will become an owner of that university called the Sarvagnipita Yajaman. So he's collecting $200,000 donations from people regularly. Uh, it's been estimated that he's amassed $1.4 billion Holy by doing it. Sh- 
shit. Okay, so um, just yeah. it, it, the legal troubles that he's had, yeah. I'm going to guess he's been able to evade them or at least prolong yeah. them or keep them secret because yeah. of the, the money that he has. Is that right? Yeah, okay, exactly, yeah. exactly. And and also he's got disciples in all kinds of different places. Like just, just yesterday I found out that one of his um, Native American disciples, he, he called her to Ecuador and tried to get her to work with um work with the the leader of her reserve to get them to welcome him in so that he could hide on their reserve land whoa and luckily luckily the chief refused that um but that's the extent to which he's he's willing to go to keep himself hidden and to evade his trial and and to escape his rape case um so as well as the rape case, he's now also involved in a case of um, of child abduction and child abuse because one of the parents of the kids in the Skurukul, um, who was actually still volunteering for his organization when I first blew the whistle, uh-huh. um, that man, independently of me, his kids sent him a frantic message from the Gurukul saying, Dad, can you please come save us? Whoa. Uh, we don't want to be here. So he and his wife went to the school and the teachers wouldn't open the gate. They wouldn't let them inside. And they said, no, your kids are no longer your kids. They're Swamiji's kids. You have no right to be here. Um, So for weeks, they kept going back and trying to get their kids out. And finally, they went to the police and, and the police went in with a warrant to get their kids. And they obstructed the, the they wouldn't let the police come inside. They kept the gate locked. And so that escalated the situation. Two of the teachers were arrested, thank goodness, um, and the kids were brought out. These are the kids I mentioned earlier who have confirmed right. everything I said about the abuse. And they've given more detail. It's it's far worse than I originally mm. had known. Um, but but the, the two elder daughters of this man who went to rescue his kids have been flown out of country without even telling their parents. Um, the older daughter was in Ecuador with Nityananda. Uh, now both of the daughters are claiming that they're in Trinidad and Tobago. And every day they're making videos on their Facebook Live accounts, um, Facebook Live videos on their pages saying that um, their parents are abusive and that they're they're calling their parents by their first name, not mom and dad. So they're, they're disrespecting their parents and saying that, um, you know, it's their choice to be with that guru and their parents should leave them alone. Um, but they have falsely accused their parents of sex trafficking, of embezzling funds from the ashram, um, of, of hiding rapists in their house. Like, like they're putting the craziest false accusations against their own parents. So this is their, and, their own children who have been taken yeah. uh, out of the ashram yeah. to Trinidad and Tobago, yeah. accusing yeah. their own parents of crimes. Yes. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah, that's some and, serious and brainwash. Yeah. Very, very serious brainwashing. Like I, it reminds me of Patty Hearst. Yeah, that's wild. Only in this yeah. case, nobody, nobody put a gun to their heads that we know of. Right. But, but there has been a bait and switch where they're told we're going to give you enlightenment, and instead, what they're made is a mouthpiece for this criminal racket. Um, but we've got the 15-year-old sister of these girls saying she doesn't want to say all of this, and that while they were still there in the Gurukul. Nandita, um, the second daughter, had told um, had told her younger sister Kalpalata, 
I have to go on Facebook Live and lie about mom and dad. I don't want to do this, but I have to. They're not giving me a choice. If I don't do this, something bad will happen. And what these kids have been told is that if they don't obey the instruction, they will be killed and their families will be killed. And so they are saying whatever they're told to say to avoid that. So they actually are being told that their family will be murdered Yes. Because of if they don't do what they're told, if they don't do what they're told, they will be killed and their family will be killed. Um, does that like and you're where you are and how vocal you are about all of this? Mm-hmm. Do, I mean, do you like worry about you? Like, wh- where are oh, you with that? I've, yeah, I've had death threats. Yeah. And, and, you know, for that reason, I don't say publicly where I live. Um, I, I have a jewelry business like. I'm I'm not, um, when I got out of that cult, it's not like I had any employable skills or, or a good professional resume. So I've got an Etsy shop. I make jewelry and I sell jewelry on Etsy. And I, I had to get a P.O. box because I was told that if, if I have my real address on my shop, um, if they order something from me, they could send somebody here to kill me or uh, they could slap a false legal suit. Um, this lady, Arti Rao, his first public rape victim who charged him, when she first put a rape complaint against this fraud, within a week, she had more than 10 false legal cases slapped on her. Wow. And so, you know, I've been very well advised by mutual friends who have said, you know, don't put your address out there anywhere or you could get served. Um, and, and. This cult, like I, I know for a fact, there's a guy from Silicon Valley. He used to be a corporate lawyer for Google, who is one of Nityananda's disciples, one of the guys who helped smuggle him to Ecuador. Wow. He has openly said in Facebook chat groups, we need to get together and sue Sarah Landry for slander. And so here's here's a guy who is very, um, you know, well-versed in law and, and who can afford to, to put a legal case yeah. who is literally trying to incite people to sue me and it and it, it is a bit scary because um you never know that when you point out a crime that you're going to be labeled a criminal for pointing out the fact that a crime was committed by something by somebody else yeah um but this is how these cults operate they they don't want their fraudulence to be exposed um but i i think I'm not as scared as I was two months ago when I first went public about this. Like when I first went public, they started calling me a white racist, um, anti-Hindu. Um, first of all, it's it's ironic that they called me a racist, but also pointed out my race right, in their yeah. caricature. Right. Uh, and, and they made a little picture of me where they photoshopped a lasso into my hand and a cowboy hat on my head and a pipe in my mouth. Um, I don't know what they were going for. Yeah, I'm not sure of... what that is trying to caricature. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. no I, I guess to them, uh, cowboys are racist. And, and right. to me, I'm offended as a vegan that they would put a lasso in my hand and a cowboy hat on my head. Because... Yeah, that was a jab at you, probably specifically. <laughs> it was you, a yeah. jab. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but at, at first, that kind of thing really bothered me because, you know, nobody wants to open their computer and see... Um, you know, something really um, disturbing mm-hmm. being said about themselves. Um, two of his disciples, Sundareshwara and Priyamaya, um, made 
really long-winded rants on their Facebook timelines falsely accusing me of sexual abuse. Um, this guy, he, he's you know, a muscular, six-foot-tall, 22-year-old, I think, claims that I sexually assaulted him. Whoa. And that he was powerless to defend himself against my sexual assault. Um, hmm. and, a, and, and a girl, I think she's 24 or 25, she made the same claim. She said that I slapped her on the face and dragged her into a hidden area and started groping her and molesting her. And, and in these fake claims, they claim that they were still kids when it happened. So the moment I accused Nityananda of child abuse, he got two of his brainwashed disciples to accuse me of something similar. Um, what do you think and, they're and, thinking? I mean, what do you think, like, because now, I mean, now I feel like he's in a situation where he actually has to ask people to to straight up yes. lie and say yes. things that they know are lies. So how, how do you... 100%. How does that even possibly, like, how is that working, you know? Okay. I'll, I'll tell you exactly how it's happening. Yeah. Fact, truth, reality. Uh, Fact, Sarah didn't do this to you. Truth, do you feel like she's hurt your sentiments by insulting your guru? Reality, she has assaulted you by insulting your guru. And so wow. they no longer feel that they're lying when they lie because they no longer have the discernment to understand what's truth and what's lie. Um, in fact, he's made a petition to the UN where he's begging for diplomatic immunity similar to the Dalai Lama by saying that the way the Dalai Lama's life is threatened by the Chinese if he goes into Tibet, his life is threatened by anti-Hindus if he stays in India. And in his fake kind of trumped up report to the UN, um, Trump, no pun intended, sure, yeah. um, in, in his report, he actually says that... 40 of his disciples were raped by anti-Hindu people within India and none of them were. Yeah. Not one of them was actually raped, but he has these girls give really detailed, horrific accounts of men who are, for example, the prosecutor in the case against him is accused of rape. Wow. Um, the man who supported Ardi Rao and helped her make the complaint, he was accused of rape. How convenient. Um, how convenient, of course. Everyone who has ever said anything against him ha is a rapist. Yeah. And, and even, like I said, even the father of these two young girls who were smuggled and kidnapped into Ecuador, his own daughters accused him of harboring their rapists. They claimed that they got raped and that he welcomed their rapists into his house. Um, and, and he was also told in one of his interviews, he said that when he first brought police to rescue his kids out of the Gurukul, he was flat out told, if you pursue this, one of the brahmacharinis, one of the female monks, is going to accuse you of rape. Um, wow. I have another friend, a, a guy from California, a really nice looking young guy, um, who went there and, and became a brahmachari. He decided to live the, the celibate path. Uh, one day, the guru called him into his bedroom and told him it's to press his feet, which is something that disciples do for gurus in India. Uh, and while he was giving the guru a foot massage, the guru grabbed his hand and put it on his you know, on his genitals. And he got hard, and he made this guy give him a hand job. Wow. Um, when that guy left the cult, he was accused of being a drug smuggler. <laughs> and he was told, if you ever tell anybody what Nityananda did to you, we already have a girl ready to charge you with rape. So he's he's molesting people and then 
like scaring them into silence by saying, if you speak out, you'll be accused of rape. Um, And they've already won a fake rape case against a man. Oh, God. And because in India, um, you know, it's common knowledge that the girl who who says a man raped her, um, it's like the man is guilty until proven innocent. And they use that against their victims by saying, if you come out about how you were abused, you're the one who's going to get charged. And that's why he has molested many people, including minors. He's also a pedophile. Um, But there are very, very, very few people, three public people that I know of who are talking about this, the the father of those two kids and Arti Rao and myself. Um, But every day I have more of his victims sending me private messages secretly saying, please don't ever use my name, but this happened to me, that happened to me. Um, one girl told me when she was 17, he sent her a message and, and she's such a sweet, innocent girl. Even now she's only 19. She said, Sarah, do you mind if I use a curse word? Oh. And I said, not at all. You use whatever words you, you have to. She said, well, Swami G sent me a message that said, come to my room. Let's fuck. Wow. And I, and I said to her, how old were you? And she said, 17. And she said that that was the same day the kids all got beaten. So she replied saying, I'm sorry, no, I'm not in the mood for it. Um, That's and, and she was fucking punished for saying that. demented. This is like yes. actual evil at work. Yes, wow. yes, yes. That's how I feel. And, and it, it's, it's bloody frustrating too because I know all of these victims personally who have told me the horrific details of how they were abused. But none of them are going to go public or, or file a police report. In this girl's case, her parents are still active members of the cult and they have told her she's not allowed to file a complaint. And they've also told her that it's a Leela, which is the Sanskrit word for a divine play. Right. You can't judge how the master is behaving. And so there's, there's so much, um, there's so much brainwashing involved that trying to, you you meet a victim and that victim doesn't even believe that they're a victim because they think it's their incompletion that's not able to grasp the bigger picture of what the master is doing for them. Right. Um, so it's almost and, like you have to convince a victim that, that they're a victim in the first place. Yeah. 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 And, and I mean, most of the people who write to me, they know that they're victims. They just want to vent somewhere where they're not going to be silenced. Like, uh-huh. I'm, I'm kind of like the sympathetic ear. Um, and in this girl's case, she she knows that she was a victim. She knows that he was an abuser, but she can't speak out for herself because her parents won't let her. And there are so many other kids like that, like the, the two kids who cried to me in Toronto about getting beaten. Uh, one of those kids, her father runs the causing team. So he's the one right. um, rallying all the disciples. It's it's like a call center, really. If if a call center was a cult, it would be the Nityananda cult. <laughs> um, her father is the one who has to pressure people to make phone calls and to get people to pay for the December program. Uh, when I told him, your daughter was beaten, do you know about this? Um, he flat out denied it and said, um, you're lying, you're abusing the guru, and who gave you permission to talk to my daughter and never talk to my daughter again? It's like you said, these parents can't allow themselves to believe that they put their kids in that danger. And I I think um, it's a twofold problem. One, where they're brainwashed to believe that the abuser is a divine incarnation. And two, where if they have to face the reality that they put their kids into a school that abused them, um, suddenly their parenting skills are called into question and they're not ready to admit that they made that mistake. 
And so they will keep defending that abuser um, because they see their own identity tied into it. Yeah, yeah, it's very true. Are, are you, I mean, you said, wh- when did you come out? Uh, not when did you leave, but when did you start speaking about this publicly? September 11th of this year. Okay, so literally like just over two months ago. Yeah. And yes. are you, are in terms of the role that you have sort of taken on or that's been put on you, mm-hmm. what, what are are there others like you doing what you're doing specifically yes. about Nithyananda or so you're not alone in this? No. Regard. Okay. No, I'm not. And and the reason I came out on September 11th specifically uh, was that on September 10th, there was a status update made on the Nithyananda official account claiming that an international investigation agency had discovered a drug smuggling ring operating in his cult Um and being led by, and then it named five people who are all friends of mine who have escaped the cult. Uh, and as soon as I read that, I thought, well, shit, I better speak up before I get named yeah. as part of this fake drug smuggling ring. Because I could see um, that that was their way of scaring these people into silence. Right. Um, so what? So it, it's mm-hmm. what is what is next? Like for you, like how? What is it moving forward? Like are you? are you going to do something like write a book? Like, are you, I know you're going to stay vocal and I've seen many, many, many people are watching your videos, which is obviously very, a very good thing. But like, what is it, what is happening moving forward for you? Like, what is the plan, I guess, so to speak? Yeah. Well, I've already started writing a book. Um, and at, at first it was just cathartic for me to Mm -hmm. kind of go back and look at what happened and, and to put it all down, um, for my own healing journey. Um, but it, since then, I've read Leah Remini's book and I've, I've read um, Sarah Edmondson's book, Scarred, about her experience in Nexium. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm I, I never really set out to be a cult whistleblower. It's just kind of like, well, I'm the one who found out that that abuse happens. So if I don't speak, who will? Yeah. Um, but but I do feel really passionate about this now. Um, so yeah, I, I plan to finish that book and hopefully get it published. And my, it, it's kind of funny because my passions are still abstract art and gemstone jewelry. And I mm. still like some of the new agey stuff about manifestation, but, um, with a lot more skepticism and discernment now, because, okay, if that shit really worked, it wouldn't have led me right sure. into the middle of a destructive cult. Sure. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm kind of reevaluating my worldview and my beliefs. But um, yeah, short term, I, I'd like to write the book about this. And then long term, I'm thinking of even maybe going back to university and this time instead of a fine arts degree, going for a psychology degree. Yeah. Um, or even a law degree, because I, I think that it's really bullshit that he's been able to get away with all of these crimes for so many years. Um, and maybe if I was well versed in law, I'd be able to see how he's evaded you know facing his criminal activity i mean that is the Um, hardest part about this i think really ultimately it's it's i think unfortunately or fortunately whatever people now people are wise enough to the fact that there are these uh con men out there that do this but the fact that the moment they get caught it doesn't all topple down i think is really hard for people to to really wrap their head around because it is it's so disheartening to know yeah. there's someone out there doing the things that you've talked about that, that anyone who has this kind of experience talks about. Yeah. And these, these it's, I mean, I was going to, I was going to say people, but it really is almost 
always men and it's yeah. these men who are just out there continuing to do this shit and it's yes. it's the money that they've conned themselves into having that perpetuates yeah. the whole fucking problem in the first place it's maddening you oh 100 percent. and I, and i mean this this guy like when i i used to look at his pictures and go into this devotional ecstasy state now if i'm ever scrolling through facebook and and i know that that was something um this ecstasy people feel he uses a lot of hypnotic triggers. Mm -hmm. So it's like he hypnotizes his disciples into believing that he's good looking and he's divine and he's, um, he's their ultimate God figure. Uh, once you've broken that spell and you're no longer <sighs> hypnotized by him, um, he's, he is scary looking. Like yeah. if, if I'm ever scrolling Facebook and I see his picture come out, I feel like a, a revulsion. Like he's, he's, disgusting yeah to look at. yeah yeah um, i mean i've seen some videos of them it, it, it's it's in, it's it's definitely interesting like i mean it's not even like a western thing that i'm from like the even like just like the imagery and, and the aesthetic i'm not steeped in yeah. that so i watch no. it and it's very easy for me to be like oh well this guy's a fucking maniac but yeah but <laughs> i understand that the uh, you know if you if you come from somewhere else and i mean the, you talked about catholicism mm -hmm. that's aesthetic and in an imagery that i'm very familiar with and an outsider oh, to yeah. that would be like what the fuck is on that guy's head you know what i mean like yeah it's a whole What's different thing yeah yeah for sure Gandalf or something. Like, no, <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah and and every one of these sort of practices has these ridiculous looking things but if you're yes. inside it you don't recognize it as ridiculous yeah. yeah because because you understand that it's it's the traditional regalia and right. that you know this symbolizes that and that symbolizes the other yeah yeah, yeah. but it, it's also interesting that a lot of genuine hindu gurus um will fault him for like one of the latest rackets he's done is that he went in a, a live video. He still does a live stream video every day from Ecuador, but it's uploaded by a proxy server. So he can't be tracked. Wow. Um, in one of his recent live videos, he said that the heat generated by his body's enlightenment was so strong that it melted all of his gold jewelry. <laughs> and so he begged his disciples, send more jewelry. I need more jewels because the, oh, the body heat God. melts all of them. So he collected like a shitload of 24 karat jewelry from all his Indian disciples. And in his latest pictures, he's wearing like 10 necklaces and like he, he looks like a 90s rapper gone wrong. Like Fuck. He, he's, wow. He's covered in, in gold chains and gold jewelry. Um, and what's interesting is that a lot of his born Hindu disciples are saying that it's the same way their scriptures show the demon Ravana. Mm. There, there was an ancient demon king who covered himself in gold. And even even the way Nityananda styles his facial hair is similar to the scriptural descriptions of a demon. Um, so it's it's fascinating, you know, to hear from people who are mystical Hindus. Right. Um, who say, like, he is a demon parading as a god. Um, and I, like I said, I'm I'm kind of, agnostic at this point I, I definitely believe there's something i don't know what it is i wouldn't call it god yeah um and I, and I don't know if there's such a thing as gods and demons or if there's just right and wrong decisions or people um who are mentally healthy versus mentally ill to me he he looks like a, a crazy man who yeah. has deluded a lot of people to believe his fantasies yeah yeah um, but it's interesting a lot of hindus are saying he is a demon um 
Well, he certainly acts like a demon of earth. Yeah. I mean, his behavior yeah. is just unbelievable. I mean, the more you say, the more my jaw gets attached to the ground. Yeah. It's just fucking unbelievable. And uh, everything you went through is crazy. And what you're doing now is extremely important. And I mean, I've, I've, I've talked to some people who have experience with cults and uh, Tony Natale about Nexium and um, yeah. I just, this is something that f- endlessly fascinates me. And I think your yeah. case is, is unique in that you, you were on the inside. You're not just an expert on it. You were in it, but you also extracted mm-hmm. yourself on your own. There was no one taking you out. There was no one making no. you come out. You slowly, but surely sort of came to this thing on your own, which I think in itself is sort of rare and 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 i think your perspective on it is really um really important to 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 get out there and i'm happy thank you for coming well, on the thank show you. i just look i really it's, it's appreciate that we've been doing this for over an hour and a half this might be the longest episode oh so far so yeah i appreciate that <laughs> um yeah time flies for sure yeah i mean this is thank crazy you. your story is incredible and thank you for sharing it um my pleasure if there's anything else you want my listeners to know before we get off here uh please share it now if sure. Any, I, yeah. yeah, I think I think the only other thing that I I would want people to know is that um you are in control of your life and anybody who feels stuck, like whether whether it's in a cult like this, which is kind of the extreme example, or even in an abusive relationship, or or if there's a bullying situation going on at work, um it's easy for us to build our own mental prison where we believe we made the choice to be where we are. So we're stuck with it. And so we'll kind of dig our heels in and and put up with abuse um, because we can't imagine life outside of that abusive relationship or bully boss environment or cult environment. Um, But I, I would want people to know that when I left the Nithyananda cult, I was shit scared that I had nowhere else to go and nothing else to do and that that life would be too unpredictable or too difficult. Um, But what I've discovered is that even the worst day of freedom is better than the best day in that cult ever was. And I've, I've seen a lot of documentaries now about narcissistic abuse and relationships and you know, corporate abuse in the in the workplace or bullying in school. Um, if anybody is listening to this and feels like they're trapped in a, in a negative place with people who are hurting them, um, my story should be a cautionary tale for some people not to get into that kind of shit. But for people who feel like they're trapped in it, um, if I can get out of that cult, anybody can get out of anything. And... It, it just takes that decision to leave. Yeah. And, and once you've made that decision, you'll find a way to get out, even if that means hiding clothes in the closet and sneaking out of the house once everybody has, has left and driving to the airport. Um, but find a way and get out and then worry about what to do next. Yeah. Um, there's no way I could have planned a year ago to do what I'm doing now right. because I, I didn't have the the knowledge or the skill set or, or even the awareness that such a thing is possible. Um, but, but take it step by step. And if you're trapped in a cult or in a, in a belief system or in a negative place, um, just make the decision to leave. And from there, you'll be able to do what needs to be done. 
Yeah, I mean, thank you so much for that too. That is very, very uh, true and meaningful coming from you. Um, yes, thank you. Thank you, and yeah, we'll let you know when it posts. But we really, really appreciate your time and everything you're doing. Thank you so much, Sarah. Great, and thank you too.